God, we thank you so much for um, the announcement um, that Christ the King has been born, the announcement that Christ the King is coming, and the announcement that is echoing throughout all the earth to believe in and trust in Jesus. And so, God, we just say yes to the invitation to know you, yes to the invitation to walk with you, yes to the invitation to acknowledge that you are our king. And Lord, as we vastly approach um, the end of this Advent season, and as we've entered into the longing, the longing that reverberates throughout all creation for Christ to come and to definitively and once and for all make all things new, may we as your church participate more and more each day in seeing your kingdom become a reality all around us as we walk with you and as we seek you first. We pray this in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. Well, the text I want us to look at this morning, my name is Chad. I'm the pastor here. If you're new with us, thank you for being here. And the text I want us to look at us is a very famous passage. It's in, in Isaiah chapter 7. It's why we have this beautiful um, graphic God with us. Say that with me. God with us. God with us. And I want to unpack the passage just very briefly, and then I want us to consider what does it mean that God is with us? I want us to consider what might it look like if God is with us? What might it sound like? What might our relationships be like if, if God with us is, I would argue, sort of the whole point of all of Scripture, then how do I know it's a tangible reality in my life? And how can I participate and understand and experience it in a greater measure? Amen. And so with that, let's open our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 7. And just very, very, very briefly, I don't want to spend a ton of time here because you can read it for yourself. In 2 Kings, hold your thumb there in Isaiah 7, in 2 Kings 16, we see the story. Ahaz is the king of Judah, the southern kingdom. Remember the kingdoms, the kingdom of the nation of Israel split. Israel to the north, Judah to the south. Both had their own kings. Judah had a little bit better of a run as far as good kings, but they didn't have it that great. And Israel, it was like one out of ten or even less of a good king that followed God. And so the context in our passage of this famous Christmassy text that many of us would be able to finish if I started quoting it. When we understand the context, we understand how good this very well-known scripture really is. How many know that we have seen nothing yet of what God wants to reveal to us in Christ by his spirit if we'll continue to pursue him and, and learn and lean into what he's done and what he wants to do? The context of our passage is that Ahaz, king of Judah, he knows that the superpower of his day, namely the Assyrians, are mowing over the surrounding nations. King Ahaz knows this is not looking so good. This guy is increasing in power. And not only is he being pursued or is he aware of the superpower of his day, now he's got Israel, the northern kingdom, and its king, and modern-day Syria, its king, have formed an alliance. They're marching up to Jerusalem to say, hey, dude, join us in the fight against Assyria and if you don't join us, we're going to remove you, which is a nice way to say slaughter you, and we're going to place our little puppet king so that we might have hope to stand up against the superpower of our day, the mighty Assyrians. The, the scripture calls them a razor in God's hand. Sure. 
That's the context of this famous. So we, we got to understand that Ahaz, his options aren't looking that good. Has anyone been there when the options don't look that good? Come on, y'all. And when I would contend, this God with us, it is always going to be tested, our faith. And the God with us revelation that the Lord Jesus wants us to walk in will be on the heels of great adversity, trials, temptations when we discover, man, he really is or he isn't with us. And Ahaz had a choice. God told King Ahaz, remember Ahaz is from the line of Judah, which was the promised line of Second uh, Chronicles, I'm sorry, yeah, Second Kings chapter 7. The promise was that through the line of Jesse, David, Judah, and this line would come one whom God would establish his throne and his reign and his rule forever. Say forever. So dude, this guy has the promise. He has, yes, he's surrounded. His options feel limited. He has to scramble because now he's got two more kings trying to take him out and he's not going to agree with them. And then he, obviously Assyria and the prophet, listen, this is so profound and why it's so necessary today. We're in very similar days, by the way, as the text we're going to finally read here in two minutes. It's in moments like that when it seems like all hell is breaking loose. Anyone been there? Many of you have been there. When you get the phone call, when you don't get the raise, when you just fill in the blank, when you feel surrounded and the only way forward is up, Amen. you're going to have a choice in that moment like King Ahaz, Ahaz, and it's in this moment pregnant with possibility for God to show up and to get all the glory and credit or pregnant with Ahaz relying upon himself and misplacing his trust and well, we know how that usually ends. And it's in this moment that God sends a prophet. It's in the moment when all of the perspectives of man and of the earth seem bleak and hopeless and God is faithful to send a messenger and say, dude, Look to Yahweh. He is your mighty warrior who can save and deliver. You don't understand that in my kingdom, there's always another option that's going to involve me, but you've got to trust me instead of your circumstances. Amen. I'm just giving you background behind the verse, God with us. This is so important. It's not just a catchy verse that we read once a year. Beloved, God with us, he wants it to be the predominant reality of our lives that no matter what we face, come hell or high water, we will not take our eyes off of the one who promised to get us through. And so Ahaz is surrounded. There's no hope in the natural realm. But God sends a prophet, and the prophet gives God's perspective. Hammond would say, I'd like to know what God's perspective is. Can I read the scripture now? That's the context. It's just, whew. what's Ahaz going to do? What are you going to do? Isaiah chapter 7. Whew, I'm excited. I like that. Verse 6, I'll start there. This is, again, the kings of Syria and the king of Israel saying, Let us invade Judah. Let's tear it apart and divide it among ourselves, and then we'll make a king, son of Tabeel, over it, a puppet king. Yet, this is, someone say, yet. <laughs> Come on, underline that. If you've got a scripture or a Bible app, listen, I know you're not texting, so get out your Bible apps and follow along. We're going to go through this text. Someone needs to underline that word, Yet. Yet, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Now, how many know that God doesn't just want us to know what he's saying when we're surrounded by enemies, but it is our destiny to live out of what he is currently saying because of a relationship we have possible through Jesus. He wants us living in a constant stream of his thought of his word, of his will, and of his ways. Say amen if you believe it. He doesn't just want us to, where's the prophet when all of the stuff is crumbling and when I'm surrounded and I don't know how to get through? Listen, be, listen I'm kind of getting to the end because I want to preach shorter. He, listen, Jesus has made it possible that we can live out of what the Lord is saying in an everyday present reality. 
The problem is many of us do not have our ears attuned to his voice. We're listening to other frequencies. We're listening to other words. We're listening about the the scripts and the narratives that the news and the media try to get us to buy into. And if we're not careful, we're, we're called to be an influence on culture. But the reality out there can begin to influence us on the inside. And how many know if that starts happening, it's a slippery slope to despair, darkness, and desolation. Yet... This is what the sovereign Lord says, Ahaz. I know the kings are coming, and I know Assyria is increasing in power. But if you will listen to what I say, what you see with your natural eyes is not what you are doomed to experience if you will get into alignment with my word that I'm about to release through the prophet. Come on, somebody. This is what's happening in this passage, this Christmas passage. It will, oh, come on. It will not take place. How many know that's a good day? What you fear, listen, what you fear in your heart right now, what you're going through, did you know that the picture that you and I create with our imagination, when it's motivated by fear, the picture of the future never has God in it? Come on, you you understand what I'm saying? When we're consumed with fear and we're letting our circumstances and situations dictate where our gaze is, did you know That when that happens, the picture that your mind naturally creates is a future without God. That's why you feel the weight of what you're experiencing, because you think it's you who's got to get you through what's about to happen. But the last I check from Genesis to Rev is that God is really, really interested in getting in on what you're going through so he can take you through it. I'm happy today, man. I needed this word. It will not happen. It won't happen. And he goes on to say that Isaiah, declaring the word of the Lord, he says this, for the head of Aram is Damascus. And he goes on to say, these guys, 65 years, not only Syria, but Ephraim, Israel, they're going to be shattered. They're going to be so shattered, they won't even be a people left. Isn't that interesting? That the, the, the looming threat that seems all-consuming from heaven's perspective they're not even going to exist, Ahaz, but you still got to make a choice. Look at this. The head of Ephraim is Samaria. The head of Samaria is only Remelah's son. And here is the verse, people. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all oh man are you starting to get the weight we're going to get to the christmas verse in a second but listen if we don't understand how good the good news of god being with us really is we will not tap into its reality and potential for our life ahaz if you don't stand in faith dude if you'll press through and if you won't let your circumstances dictate where you're placing your hope and your trust buddy they're nothing. It won't happen. Goes on to say, again, the Lord, aren't you thankful that sometimes when it says yet and then it says again, aren't you glad God keeps speaking to us even when we're not listening? Thank you, Sven. Wherever you're at shouting, you're helping me, bro. There you are. I love it. I need help this morning. So we just got a yet, and now we got an again. Now turn to someone next to you and say, I'm thankful for the yet and the again when I don't get it the first time. Come on, that's his, come on, that's his mercy, people. He could just speak and leave, but he has been faithful to speak from Genesis 2, Rev, and he's still speaking, Hebrews 12, 28 through the rest. He's still speaking from heaven on his throne. He's speaking, and this is why the gospel writers say over and over and over, those who have ears, let them hear what the Spirit's saying. Those who have ears, who are attuned, and who are willing to stand in faith no matter the trial or the tribulation so that they have a front row seat to see the inbreaking deliverance of God. Yet and again, I'm thankful. Chad Bohai is thankful for the yet and the again. I don't know about you. Ask the Lord your God. This is what God is telling Ahaz through the prophet. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. So in other words, he's giving Ahaz an opportunity to test the word of the Lord. 
Ask, dude, I don't care how high the test is or how low you think it is, I'm giving you an opportunity to prove my faithfulness if you'll take me up on it. Come on, that will preach. Did you know that God right now is extending an invitation to the world, to us at Cornerstone Church? Will you give me an opportunity, says the Lord, to prove myself faithful and true? Or will you short-circuit the operation and begin to look inward and look outward peripherally instead of looking to me and letting me be your provision source of strength? That's what's happening in this passage. Ahaz telling him, dude, you can ask the Lord for a sign. He'll give you a sign. He'll give you a sign that what I'm saying isn't just hot smoke. And how many know some people can blow hot smoke, but when it's the word of the Lord, man, it's not hot smoke. It's hot fire that will consume the enemies of God. That's fun. What happens? Let's see what happens. Verse 12. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Now, many of you, if you know your Bibles briefly or even in your heart a little bit, you know that Ahaz is trying to be spiritual and he's quoting Deuteronomy 6 where the Lord says, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Shake your head at me. It's in there. The only problem is that most of our problems come not from not being able to read the text, but from misinterpreting the text. And Ahaz misinterprets the whole thrust and emphasis of this passage. He's not saying don't test the Lord In other words, to prove his faithfulness, he's saying don't test the Lord in your rebellion. So Ahaz doesn't understand. He's misappropriated a text and he's missed an opportunity to get to see God break in with a sign that would give him courage and confidence not to rely on other people or princes or warriors or weapons or the, the, the next ruling town or king, he's giving him a chance to ask for a sign, but Ahaz wants to be all spiritual and act like, you know, I don't want to test the Lord. And I want you to know that the Lord is issuing a challenge to all of us to test him in the way of seeing his faithfulness and his truthfulness play out in our life. I'm telling you, It's like he's got a blank check. Don't misinterpret what I'm saying, but he's waiting for someone to take him up on his promises so that he can go, I can't wait to show myself strong through them. God in heaven, it's never on his end, the lack of resources, anointing, power, breakthrough, healing, deliverance. It's never on his end. Charles Finney, the great awakening revivalist, said God is one pent-up revival. It's not, it's not on his end that's in the lack. It's on where we place our eyes and our affection and our hopes. And he's saying, I'm not going to test him. And listen, I'm telling you what, that is a test the Lord is thankful to have to go through when we put him in that kind of situation. And I'm telling you, every almost revival in history where there's been awakening at an entire cultural city level happened when a handful of people said, Lord, you said it in your word, and we're not moving until you do it. Almost every revival in history has happened from a few men and women who would say at the altar of God, we are not moving until your word is proved true in our day and our generation. And I'm telling you, the Lord longs to be tested in that way. And I'm convinced that maybe he's so unaccustomed to it because we are so like Ahaz, quick to reach for the easy and what we can see in the natural instead of pressing through and contending and clinging to the promise of the eternal, invisible God who wants to make himself visible in our lives. Yeah. I'm just convinced of it. He's... The Lord longs to be tested in that way. Will they believe me? Will they allow my word not just to be something that gets stuck in here, but that influences their chooser muscle, the place of their affection and their longing? Will they allow it to not only inform their brains and they can learn more, but could they experience more of my goodness if they begin to connect head, heart, and hands that they've been to operate and live out of what I've said and what I've promised. And last I checked, Hebrews 6 tells me that it's impossible for God to lie and that in Christ Jesus, 2 Corinthians 1, 20-22, every promise in Christ is yes and amen to the glory of God. 
Now, I don't know about you, but on any given day of the week, every promise being yes and amen is a good day. Yes, sir. Yeah. Ahaz says, I won't do it. I won't test him. And again, you have to understand a little bit of the background in 2 Kings 16 where it, where it talks about this story. The reason why he doesn't want to really test is because he's already made up his mind. He's already called for the king of Assyria, which will be the superpower that will end up wiping him out. He's already called and asked for help from the enemy because the friend of my enemy, or the enemy, help me out, someone. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. So Ahaz, I won't test the Lord, but the Lord sees right through the junk. And aren't you glad for that? Ahaz already made up his choice. He already called for help from the superpower of his day to help him with his little fight. And I want you to know, when you start making compromises in the little fights, you have no thing or place to stand when the big stuff comes. These little kings, Isaiah tells them, they're just little smoldering wicks, like two-ended sticks that are at the, they don't even have a fire anymore, they're just embers. And in the presence of Yahweh, they're nothing and, 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 and Ahaz, I won't test the Lord, but God knows, dude, you've already made up your choice. I've been extending mercy and grace to you. Dude, Ahaz is so bent um, toward self and toward Assyria. If you read 2 Kings, I don't have time this morning, but he changes, listen, to accommodate, this is what happens, and many of you think, man, oh, poor Ahaz, but we'll see how it applies to us, amen. Ahaz is so devoted of of finding an easy way out from his immediate adversity and troubles, he changes the furniture, the arrangement, the length. He changes the furniture of the house of the Lord to accommodate the pagan king. Now you tell me how low you got to go. He changes the altar dimensions. He tells Uriah the priest to go check out how... Uh, the king of Assyria worships and he comes home and he takes the, the treasures and the, the, the goblets and the, and the utensils and the tools that were devoted to God and for the holiness of his, the, the radiances of his glory and for the priest, the minister. Ahaz is so unconvinced that God can be trusted, he takes that which is to be sanctified and set apart for God alone and he plays right into the hand of the king of Assyria. And he, listen, you say, Chatty, I would never do that, but how many of you know that that whatever you're looking to that transcends or trumps trusting God, that's the same thing Ahaz did. The accommodation of your heart and your life and my life, instead of trusting the word of the Lord, whatever I look to that is apart from him is the same as rearranging the furniture of the holy place, i.e. you and me. The place we put our trust. And Ahaz, listen, by the time that Isaiah tells him to test the Lord, he's already made up his mind. We're going to get to God with us in a second. How many of you have done that? Have you ever misplaced your trust? Do I have any honest people today? Have you ever thought that the solution to what you were facing was something that you could conjure up or manufacture by effort or by ability or by resources instead of trusting God and his ways? The Lord is saying to Ahaz and the Lord Jesus is saying to us, I'm waiting for some people to really test me because I cannot wait to prove myself true and faithful. And the, king of, the king of Judah. Here's the, here's the word of the Lord. When we make accommodation, we lose our ability to be an effective redeeming force in the culture. When we accommodate and we allow these little not these aren't even little compromises in Ahaz's case, but when you and I when it's we trust in God, but we also trust in fill in the blank, I'm here to tell you, God is faithful enough to be our sole source and provider. Yeah. Yes, sir. He's faithful. Verse 13, let's get through this. Then Isaiah said, of Isaiah chapter 7, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Wow. As I studied this passage this week, my theology got a lot more simpler. I didn't say easier, just simpler. 
the more I study this passage, the more I realize, man, I just think God wants us to be a people that take him at his word and bank our whole life on it. My theology got really simple as I started thinking about the promises of what all that God will do in and through his power and his provision and his spirit and his presence. He's just waiting for a people who will say enough is enough. I'm not reaching for Assyria or Egypt or myself or my own abilities. I just want to live right there in the place of relying upon God for my everything. My theology just got simple. The more this passage unfolded to my spirit as I studied and, and reflected, I'm like, oh my goodness, he just wants someone to Trust him. I just want someone to believe me. (laughs) But how many know that is something that is tested every day, multiple times a day? And that's why it's so radical. It's what's your secret, Cornerstone Church, to the harvest that you're going to see in 2017? Well, we hired more talented people. We raised a bunch of funds. No, we just began to believe God and took him at his word more. I wish it was easy like having a fundraising campaign or hiring the right people, but God is in heaven waiting to prove himself to us. If we will just say, you know what, Ahaz, we're not following your roadmap. We're not going to allow our present circumstances to dictate where we will place our hope and trust. We're going to trust in the Lord. All right, let's get to it. Therefore, someone say therefore. therefore. Ahaz, if you won't do it, And see, this is the tragedy. God will find someone to take him at his word. Come on, somebody. It could be you. Or it couldn't be you. Did you know that? Isn't that stunning? The power of a choice. The power of the, where I trust. Therefore. Ahaz, if you ain't going to be the king, if you're not going to be the one that's going to lead Judah and Jerusalem to be all of the prophetic promises I've given you to be a light to the nations. If you, it's not going to be you, then you know what? I'm going to go ahead and just give a sign myself. There's the context. Ahaz asked me for a sign. I can't wait to show myself strong and true. I won't do it because I'm already trusting somebody else. And here's the Christmas passage. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. God with us. Ahaz, what you are manifesting is not just unique to your situation. Humans have been doing it from the moment I created them. They've been really good at looking elsewhere, but to me, they've relied on kings and princes and horses. They've relied on treaties among nations. They've relied upon corruption and wealth, and they continue to rely on that. But the sign I'm going to give to you, Israel, And to you, world, about how serious I am that I want to prove myself faithful and true. I am going to send one born of a woman conceived of the Holy Spirit who will show you what living life in full trust of the Father, His promises, power, and provision looks like. If you won't believe the prophets, if you won't believe angels when they mediate my purposes to you, if you won't believe all of the provisions I've gone out of my way to make so that my holiness wouldn't fry you, but that you could dwell with me, if none of that moves your heart, then I will break in with a sign for the world, and I will take on the garment of human skin and flesh and bone so that what I will fulfill will forever change the equation. I will allow my presence and my power and my provision to be accessible to the entire world. So that no matter what you face, 
The Emmanuel, God with us in Matthew 1.21 is the Emmanuel that is with us to the end of the age as we participate in disciple making and the furthering of his kingdom. Matthew 28.20. The God who was with us in the garden. The God who was with Abraham and Moses in the tabernacle. The God who filled the temple in Solomon's day. The God who left the temple because of the sinfulness of his people. The God who came in the tabernacle of human skin in Jesus is the God who longs to prove himself true by his Holy Spirit and people today. God with us. It is the agenda of God from beginning, listen, how do I know, to the end, because in the end there will be no temple. It'll just be unmediated beauty and glory and presence of God radiating and illuminating all of the new creation. From the beginning, beloved, his vision of human flourishing has been me right in the midst of them. So it doesn't matter if it's Assyria or Syria or Israel. It doesn't matter what you're facing today. God and Christ has made provision by his spirit that no matter what you're going through, your testimony can be we are more than conquerors. God with us. I love that stuff. God with us. So what are hindrances for us to be able to experience that as a tangible reality? How many would say this morning, Chatty, I want to experience it in a greater way, the reality of God with me? I mean, almost every, I mean, I know, I know some, I know y'all, your hands went up in your heart because everyone wants to know, is God good? Can I trust him? And is he with me? Everyone does at some capacity are questioning those three things. Is he good? Is he trustworthy? And is he with me? All of us, every human, they're answering those questions on any, any given day, any given choice, those three. Number one. Jesus told us flat out, you will not be able to discern my presence or my with you-ness unless you're born again. Amen. Remember Nicodemus? He's schmoozing Jesus. He's Israel's teacher. Jesus, no one could do what you do unless God was with him. Jesus, in verse 3, says, buddy, you cannot see any of my kingdom unless you have a and complete renewal where you are born again by trusting in my work and in my finished in, in my work and in, in my death resurrection and life you will god with you will just sound like a cute hallmark card instead of a present reality you need to born again listen as in adam all die so in christ all will be made alive and until you are born of the imperishable seed of the word of Christ, 1 Peter 1, 23, you will forever be, it'll be elusive to you, the reality that God wants to be the overarching, ever-influencing reality of your life, that God is actually with you all the time. Yes, you gotta be born again. Yes, How do I do that? Jesus, you are Lord, I am not. Uh, Hal Perkins, one of my spiritual fathers, says this, the reason Jesus in Matthew 4, 17 announces his kingdom and his very first word to those after he announces is to repent. Hal Perkins says this, repentance is nothing less than changing kings. Whereas all of us, like Ahaz, we feel the pressure to run our own kingdoms and so anything that threatens that kingdom, we don't want to look up because that would be a confession that I am not a sufficient ruler of my kingdom, we just want to reach out. Because we, I'm king. And so when Jesus shows up and announces his supremacy, his first word of summons to everyone, praise God, is repent, change kings. I am the Lord of heaven and earth, not you. Amen. Are you tracking with me? So to be born again, you repent, you turn from self-sovereignty, from reliance upon your own ability to get yourself in and ahead of life, and you look up and say, Lord, you are the only sufficient savior for me and for the world. I trust you. How else do we grow in our awareness that God is with us? Number two, well, 
I think part of the obstacle that most of us have to overcome on a daily basis is that we are more, um, we are more impressed and inundated with that which we can see with our natural eye instead of looking into the, that which is eternal and unseen. That makes sense. Let me say it again. The Apostle Paul says, that which is seen is temporary, even though the enemy breathes so heavily on it, we think it's all there is. But that which is unseen, my realm, that you need my spirit and my mind to discern and to actively participate in, that realm is the eternal realm that will have no shelf life and no end. And so number one, many of us don't experience God with us because many are still bound in sin and darkness and not born again. But once you're born again, well, God was present for a little bit, but then I kind of went on my way, and I'm here to tell you, uh, Dallas Willard, the great philosopher who died, professor at USC, an amazing author, he says, he says this. He says, you won't accidentally start becoming more aware of God. You're going to have to seek him with all your heart. It's just a matter of fact. It's not legalism. I'm not being a meanie, but I'm telling you, the way we increase and all of us almost raised our hand. I want to grow in awareness that God's with me. The way you do it is you begin to seek him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You begin to fix your thoughts, Colossians 3, 1 through 4, on Christ, who is your life. You begin to fix your eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. You begin to listen to his voice, John 10, and not just listen, you obey it, James 1, 21 and 2, so that you increase an insight and your life begins to take the shape of that which Jesus made available through and by his spirit for all of us to participate in. How do I become more aware of his presence? Well, I don't know how you become more aware of his presence than by devoting more time to be in his presence. The, the bummer is, is that God is issuing this command to be proved trustworthy and true, but not only are we not taking him up at that central place of trust, but then once we've trusted, then we kind of veer and we don't understand, no, you don't understand my destiny and identity. If, 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 if this thing is headed toward no temple, but unmediated presence and beauty and glory of God in the new Jerusalem, don't you think you should be increasing all the way until I split the sky and make it new? I hope that made sense. What I'm trying to say is, is that he wants us in our walk with him to increase in closeness, in friendship, in familiarity with his voice and his heart. In other words, the good old days, if you're a Christian, are not behind you. He wants you to increase in knowledge and insight and fruitfulness and faith. And he wants to continue to prove himself true so that Psalm 145 is true of you, that one generation will declare his glory to the next generation. The psalmist says, I forget, it's in the 70s, so forgive me and I'll look it up later. Even when I'm old and gray, I will testify of the goodness of the Lord. Born again, spirit, sensors, spending time in his presence. Did you know that God constantly wants to wash us with the water of his word, Ephesians 5, 25 through 9. He wants to wash us and to keep our consciences clear where we lean into the, the way that Jesus has made for us to walk in, i.e., his presence his power. And he tells us this. The, listen, I love this. Oh, we're doing so good. We're almost done. <laughs> Perfect time. This makes me really happy. I was thinking about this. God, the eternal son. This is for you theologians. So I, I want to give something for everyone today. There had to have been some sort of dialogue that took place between God and Son. Because did you know that Jesus, when he took on skin, he became man. Say that with me. Became man. So he wasn't man before. Are you tracking with me? So I have to imagine that this eternal past conversation between God the Father and God the Son went something like this. God the Father speaking to the Son. Are you sure you're up for it? You do realize that once you take on their humanity, that you don't get to shed it. That when you experience the depth of what they feel and experience that 
when you go through, son, what you're about to go through, and then when we get through the other side, you don't just get to shed your humanity and just go back to God as spirit, but that you are going to forever experience the rest of eternity as a God and fully God and fully man. This is going to, you understand, son, that this is why me sending you is the most profound act of love in the history is because God is willing to go low to our level and place and once he becomes sin on our behalf because we never could fulfill what the law demanded in perfection and holiness. He's saying, son, you understand that once you do all that you do, you are still going to bear the marks. That's why when Revelation writes about Jesus, it's always the lamb that was slain. And God the son says... I think, I think it's worth it yeah. if it means that through me, every man and woman and boy and girl has an opportunity to be made whole, yeah. to be made holy, to, to be brought back into relationship with you, Father, because I've enjoyed it for eternity and I'm willing for a moment to leave my place of glory and to assume their humanity, which is a step down, but I'm willing to carry that all the way through the grave and then through my resurrection with the glorified body because I don't want them to live forever with an aging, decaying body. Someone say amen. amen. And so God the Son in every way has made a way for us to walk and live and have our being in God himself the whole way down. So why did I share all of that? Well, I don't think there's a faster way for us to become more aware of the presence of God than to fix our thoughts on Jesus. It's like our king, our love, our, our hero, our rescuer, our deliverer, the one who's come and is going to come again to make everything new, the one who left his place of privilege so that he could lift me from my despair and despondency and sin and he could seat me with him in the place of a prince and a king right next to the father I don't know any other way to renew my mind and to become more aware of God's intention for me and for his world than when Jesus becomes my everything and beloved he wants to and he can be today for you there's a reason why John of course the beloved disciple is obsessed with showing us throughout his entire book that Jesus wants to be your everything. The living bread, the living water, the resurrection and the life, the light of the world, the vine through which you can never stop increasing in fruitfulness, the door, the gate, the good shepherd. John goes out of his way that in every turn, Jesus is the one that you really need and he is sufficient to supply all that you would ever long for. In seven ways, God with us. Lastly, point number four, and then we're done. How else can we increase and grow in our awareness that God is with us? Well, By walking as Jesus did. Chad, what do you mean? Well, I think many of us live with this reality of God with us as some distant, out there, occasional reality. Because we're not taking that next step of obedience that we know we're to take. I think we increase in our awareness and the insight of God's tangible presence the more we walk and step and after our prototype, our King, Jesus. This is why Jesus, when John the Baptist was about to be beheaded, and before he died, he wanted to make sure that he didn't bank his hopes on the wrong guy. (laughs) How many know that's that's real deal stuff? That's like Ahaz. Is God trustworthy? Because here's, it's just like that. And Jesus says, go back and tell them this 20-point sermon to prove that I'm the Messiah. No, Jesus identifies some activity that happens when God is in our midst. 
And what does he tell John, his servants, to go back to John? He says, go tell John <laughs> that the blind see, that the deaf hear, that the dead are raised, Amen. and that the gospel is preached to the poor. In other words, go tell John that the proof that I really am who I said I was and that his hope in me is not deferred or misplaced, go tell him that evidence of me being in their midst is that God's stuff starts breaking out in and around them all the time. And many of us, we are, it feels aloof is because I'm never testing the word that he told me to test, namely, pray for the sick, preach the gospel to the poor. As, as you are, as I was, 1 John 4, 17, so are you in the world, and whoever claims to live in me must just believe that I did all the cool stuff. No, 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 no. Must walk as I did, 1 John 2, 6. And many of us, I'm convinced, and that's what I'm so pumped about 2017, God is going to take us, I declare it over our church, into a level of trusting and obeying that we've never experienced in our life. The simple yes in our heart, and then the next simple yes in our heart, we are going to see an increase of God activity that we've never seen before. Sick being healed, come on somebody. Deaf hearing, blind seeing, dead being raised, the gospel being preached. And then even though this room is almost completely empty of millennials, those that are 20s and their teens, I'm declaring that we are going to see a harvest in the next generation. We're going to see it. And this is why Jesus says, when you go out, he gave him a little trial run in Matthew 10, just do what I've been doing in front of your eyes. Heal the sick, raise the dead, preach the gospel, tell them to repent and tell them the kingdom is at hand. Beloved, I'm convinced that there is a realm of God with us that will only be unlocked as we walk and pursue the lifestyle of Jesus. That's point number four. I'm just convinced of it. And so when I get around people, I've been around a lot of smart people and a lot of not smart people or whatever. I don't know. Shut up. Shut up. I wasn't referring to anyone in this room, Samuel. I'll get him for that later. You all don't have to worry about that. But you know the people that move me more than anything, it's not the smartest in the room or the most gifted. It's those who have a lot of miles under the tread of obedience. I don't need the most articulate. God doesn't need the most articulate. I don't need the strongest or the most gifted or anointed or powerful, but show me someone who just is brainwashed enough that if God said it, they can bank on it, believe it, and live in light of it. Man, I'll hang out with that. They'll, those people draw me to a place in God of repentance because I want to be like them and of longing and anticipation because if they could, man, maybe I could too. Yeah. Beloved, I'm just declaring, and I don't know about you, but 2017 is going to be a year that we've never dreamed possible as we simply take the next step of obedience and faith. Amen. I didn't say easily take because did you know that usually it's our comfort and our desire to reach for peripheral help that keeps us from experiencing God with us in a more dynamic, powerful way. But like Ahaz, there is a yet and an again and frankly, the king is still speaking from his throne, summoning us to take him up on his word. Am I enough for you? Can I show myself off in and through your trust and faith? Because I want to, and I will. Father, I just thank you that you've invited you in Christ have made God with us a reality that can be the reality that influences every other part of our life, our relationships. Father, we know that it doesn't just come naturally or accidentally, but that you, Jesus, at the same time say, come to me. You also say, seek me with all your heart. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. And so, Father, I pray that our church, that we would seek you, that Emmanuel, the sign that you have given the world, 
that articulates your devotion to us and to your world and its renewal and revival and reconciliation. God, would we say yes to the invitation. Father, I pray for my family here today that whatever the next yes is, that Lord, by your spirit and power, we would do it. Just say yes. We would lean in to your promises. Yahweh, God saves. Jesus, your name means the Lord saves. The Lord saves by how? Emmanuel, by being with us. And we thank you that by your spirit, you are present right now, all up and through this room and the lives of those represented. Lord, you are surrounding family members that are lost, people that are sick, those that are dying in their sin and bondage. You, Jesus, are not confined by what we're confined by. So Lord, let us become a people who attune our hearts to you and begin to see your presence, your your agenda, your will blossom all around us, Lord Jesus, as we seek you first. Lord, we love you. And as we close, I just want to share this verse. Just receive this. Put your hands out like you're receiving a gift. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. And yet I tell you that Solomon, even in all of his splendor, was not dressed like one of these which is here today and tomorrow, is thrown into the fire. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things. But your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Father, that word that Jesus spoke, may it influence every part of our life that we would be able to trust that you're with us and that you're enough. Lord, we bless you. We trust you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.